0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to Processions. I wanted to thank everyone for all their kind words on Twitter about this show, and also to the new subscribers to our Patreon, who have signed up explicitly to listen to the daily output of this show. It really means a lot to me and us here at Money on the Left. To start off week three, I wanted to read from an author who I think I've probably spent the most time with out of any other, which is Siegfried Krakauer. Um, I wrote my master's thesis on Krakauer and did an extensive study on all of the Krakauer literature and, of course, read almost every word he's written. And I'll be reading from his final posthumously published book called History, The Last Things Before the Last, in the hopes of thinking a little bit about method and historiography, specifically as it relates to Marxist and Hegelian traditions. Krakauer has an interesting take that I think is illuminating for some of the problems with Hegelian and Marxist theories of history that we have at Money on the Left, and I hope pivoting off of that we'll be able to come to some interesting insights. So I'll be reading from pages 42 and 43. Marx's substructure-superstructure theory carries much more weight than his Hegelian-inspired scheme of the historical process which it helps implement. Let alone that his history sheds light on previously unknown historical motivations, it provides an invaluable criterion by which soberly to assess and, if need be, debunk idealistic claims and lofty arguments. All these truths are relatively independent of the systems to which they belong. Theoretically, they might as well have been established without any speculative trimmings. Yet, the universal historical laws into which they willy-nilly expand are perhaps needed to pry them loose from their moorings. Besides thus acting as a sort of catalytic agent, these, quote, laws, strange mixtures of scientific pretenses and theological leftovers, are, moreover, apt to yield insight of consequence. Consider that they inspire to cover the past in its entirety. So they must, in a manner of speaking, view its expanses from an extremely high altitude. They resemble aerial photographs, exactly like them, they are bound to bring normally unseen patterns and configurations into focus. This explains their potential revealing power. From his elevated position, Spengler, for instance, discovers the phenomenon of pseudomorphosis, a new culture brought into the orbit of a powerful older culture, being obliged to express its peculiar strivings and visions in the language of the older, whose meanings then tend to overshadow theirs. He thinks of this obscuring effect of Hellenism on what he labels Arabic culture. For the rest, this would not be the first time that notoriously devious conceptions breed genuine knowledge. To draw the balance, human history irrevocably differs from natural history in that it proves impervious to longitudinal historical laws, laws which, by implication, mistake the historical process for a natural process. Unlike natural history, whose narrative components may, on principle, be superseded by laws, the history of human affairs retain an epic quality. Its irreducible share of freedom ultimately defies any treatment in natural science fashion which shuts out that freedom. What I love about Krakauer is the way he lays bare his assumptions, and in an almost innocent way with full of honesty reconciles their contradictions which he knows full well in the, in his head there are contradictions into a a sort of chosen method you could call it and so what he's doing here is laying out essentially an argument in favor of base superstructure logic as a as a way of seeing right as a way of getting a sort of longitudinal view of history, getting up at that high altitude to take those aerial photographs, and as a way of sifting through arguments. It's important to view dialectical history in these terms, I think, because it's a way of eliminating unwanted inputs, Right? We can categorize the valid things from the invalid things because including all of the different types of arguments presents too much input. Right? It, 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 we can even come back to Hegel on this. It introduces some inner defects and contradictory components into our historical views right? where we can't quite grasp all of it. And so we need to sift and sort through a method of Base superstructure, in order to find a way of mapping what happened, and he even says, in knowing full well this is a problematic way of doing things. He even compares it to this obscuring force of Hellenism on backward onto Arabic culture, and. He still, though, comes around to the idea where he's like, sometimes poor methodology leads to real insight. And concluding with his critique of natural law or natural science fashion of historical dynamics, he insists on the freedom and agency and multiplicity of historical and human affairs. And this is where I want to take him up, right? base superstructure is not necessary unless you see contradictions and difference as oppositional to one another unless you see and have the need to sift right to establish a, an economic or causal baseline from which everything else emanates even as in a feedback loop But the way I approach historiography is decidedly not from that ground, right? Not from the need of a ground, of a causal univocal locus from which difference necessarily emanates and then reflects back on. And so if you divorce the need for that univocal ground from your historical method, you can come to a really more open and capacious historical method of inquiry. You can think about the way different forms and different arguments and different human processes contribute to a a constitutive mosaic of human affairs without needing a linear progression narrative of dialectical history of in the natural science fashion that Krakauer suggests really is quite problematic. And so his imminence to this problem also demonstrates the way in which he doesn't really see a way out of base superstructure. And it's my contention that the MMT view, which doesn't locate the economic in a baseline material process of Lockean infusion of one's labor into an object, of an encounter with a thing, to go back to the phenomenology of spirit with Hegel, We can think about the way the mediated economic sphere of political economy is a almost anthropological baseline, right? We have this problem of economics, of reproduction that is consistent with humanity in so many different diverse ways. And it's importantly this diversity, right? The cultural production and legal production of our shared worlds that we can then come back to this aerial photography metaphor with and say, it's not about capture, right? It's not about capture and sifting and this zooming out and getting far in order to see as much as we can, but actually we can both take these high altitude photographs and go up close and take portraits and, and take photographs of objects and, and spaces and, and landscapes and see that as similarly a part of, not, irreduce- not reducible to, but a part of this shared historical memory and problem with which we all are embarking on one way or another, trying to understand and ultimately create new histories from within. And we don't need these layers of method that seek to divide and sift. We can really insist on an inclusive historical methodology that brings things variously into focus, but also lets certain components of the world be a bit hazy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.